Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode eleven of Naked Data Science, the number one podcast on leading data science projects and teams in the real world. In this episode, Nima and I talk about five common misconceptions among data scientists when it comes to looking for a job. We discuss why you don't need a perfect CV before applying, why you shouldn't try to answer all the questions during interviews, the right mindset to think about hiring companies, and also some unsolicited relationship advice. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Naked Data Science. This is How. And I am Nima. What are we going to talk about this time, Nima? This episode, we're going to talk about finding a job in data science, and specifically about some misconceptions about applying for a job and looking for jobs. What we are going to discuss is a little bit opinionated because every company and every hiring manager is different. I would say what we are going to share is based on our experience hiring more than twenty data scientists and engineers and seeing them grow. In our teams in the past few years. Yeah, I think it's going to be opinionated for sure, and also consistent with what we think is this picture of the problem solver data scientist. Just keep that in mind. Then I think we can go into the first misconception. Yes, one of the most common misconceptions is the thinking that you need to have a perfect CV, a perfect profile, to even start applying for jobs, and this could be rooted probably in. So many resources out there about all the details, all the best practices that you need to have in your CV before even thinking about applying. My take on that is that the perfect CV doesn't really exist. The same CV that looks like the best CV to some hiring managers, even in the same company, some other hiring managers will think this is not somebody we want. So then I think there are some basic stuff that you definitely want to get right in your CV, like it's clear to read, there is no typos and no obvious mistakes, and of course you want to tell what you have done before and point those things out. But then, beyond those, there is no one perfect format or one perfect way of writing your CV. I think it might be also helpful to think about the real impact that your CV makes in the process of hiring. From our experience, at least, CVs are mostly helpful in getting you to the first interview. Nobody is going to really make a decision to hire you solely based on your CV. Although, of course, you could be discarded from the process if you have a really terrible CV. But the role that your CV plays is really that it's trying to open a door for you to get to the first interview and to have a chance to know the company better and, of course, let them know you better. So, in that regard, I think you could be really overthinking how well should it adhere to some standards. You mentioned there's no one single perfect CV, and I totally agree with that. I also believe that. Like every kind of communication, it's useful to modify your CV for the position that you're applying for, and that's another sense of no single best CV existing. The reason you need to do that is again that you might have so much to tell about yourself, and of course there is so much to know about you. But each role that you're interested in might be interested to know about different aspects of your background and different aspects of your capabilities. In that sense, it's also good to know that. 
there is no single perfect CV that you can send out and represent yourself. Sometimes as a hiring manager, I will see a CV and just by looking at it, you can see that it's a generic one. It tries to tell everything and 70% of the things on that is not relevant to the role that we are hiring. So you definitely don't want to come across like that. Think about what are the top three to four things you can put on your CV that is most relevant to the role that you are applying to that will be really helpful. That's the first misconception. So maybe we can move into the next one, which is thinking that you will need to quickly improve your skill before going into an interview. For example, like taking a course, reading about a topic, freshening up some knowledge, etc. Personally, I found that is not very helpful most of the time. You look at the description of a position and there are some things that are really fitting your profile and there are some skills, some pieces of knowledge that you're not very good at or you're not familiar with at all. A natural thinking could be if I could only add this to myself, I would be the perfect fit for this position. And I think in there it's good to have a couple of things in mind. The first one is that most probably when people write a position description, there is no real perfect fit. Some position descriptions are even clearer about it and know that we desire you to possess a bunch of these skills, but we don't expect anyone to have all of these skills. I think it's especially a common case for data science positions. You typically face with an over-representation of the picture that might be actually suitable for the position. Having that in mind, you can also think about the set of skills that are needed very pragmatically. If you think of yourself as a data scientist problem solver, you know that there are a set of skills that could be interchangeable changeable for another. If you see a very specific skill is desired, this could be because everyone in the company is exclusively working with that technology, with those kind of skills, and that might be a problem for you. Or it could be because somebody who's hiring heard that these skills are useful for solving problems in a specific way. And before going to the interview, you really don't know about these situations. I think it's better to fight the tendency to quickly add another skill to yourself and be more clear about what you can bring to any team you join as a problem solver. If the skill you're really looking to add to yourself can be mastered and learned in one or two days, then probably it's not a critical skill to really have there. And it's not one of the key factors in the decision making of the hiring managers. And on the other hand, if it's an area of knowledge that requires two months of education and training, then most probably you will only get a very shallow understanding of it if you follow a course very quickly or if you try to read around it before you just go for the interview. And in those situations, you can actually do yourself harm if you try to pretend you know something or if you come across as knowing something shallowly versus the level of depth and expertise that is desired or required for the position that you're interested in applying for. That's definitely not how you want to come across. So instead of trying to acquire something new so you can put on your CV to bring into the interview, I would say focus on your general data science problem solving skills and really know what your strengths are and have a few examples with you, some stories you can tell to the interviewers. And that is 
usually a much better approach because you have done those things, you are very confident in those areas, and you can present yourself very well in there. Keep in mind that, like Nima mentioned, when writing a job description, a lot of companies intentionally write for a unicorn profile, knowing exactly. that nobody will fit all the criterias, and they are more than willing to accept that you don't check all the boxes. And related to this one is our third misconception. That's the feeling or the notion that when you go to an interview, you need to know the answer to all the questions that's going to come up in the interview. And the parallel thinking with this, that if you don't know the answer, you need to make up an answer in your interview. Otherwise, you'll come across as stupid or as unknowledgeable. Yeah, I think this is a bit of a tricky one for people who have not been in the shoes of a hiring manager. At least as a hiring manager, my experience is that some of the best interviews I have seen from some candidates, they actually did the opposite. They don't answer all interview questions because it's very simple. Nobody knows everything. And also, the more you know, the more comfortable you are about not knowing. The more comfortable you are telling other people that this is an area that I have no expertise in, or you say I have not done something like that. The harder you try to come up with an answer to the question you don't have answer for, the more obvious it shows to the hiring managers and the interviewers. The more it comes across as not genuine, as you don't really know what you are talking about, that can be a very bad reflect on your interview. Giving the answer of, I don't know, might look like an impossibility. But actually, when I'm doing interviews, I really appreciate to see this in candidates, to find out where they can identify their levels of knowledge is. And I never expect for someone to have an answer for every question. It's completely natural if at that moment, or just based on your background, you cannot think about an answer to a question. It would be really interesting then to know what would be your next steps if you had to answer those questions in your job. For instance, if you you can't answer the question because of a specific technical knowledge that you don't possess, what would be your approach towards going there? Or how can you connect it to the knowledge that you already have and maybe try to go towards a solution with the tools that you already know? Or if you cannot answer a question because of a specific knowledge about the role that you're applying to, maybe some knowledge about the business domain or the company that you're applying to, it would again for me be very interesting to find out what would be your steps towards finding that answer answer and then try to move towards some kind of solution to the problem that we pose. Yeah, absolutely. Then that's the third misconception. Moving to the fourth one. The most popular companies for the role that you are applying to is not necessarily the best company for you. For example, in software engineering, you will be thinking like Google, where most engineers want to work in, or have the most prestige in terms of reputation, or is the most competitive to get hired. A lot of people will try to apply for them at a certain point. But I just want to point out that just because a company is popular, it doesn't necessarily mean that it would be a good company for you. Exactly. It really depends on your own goals, what are you looking for at this stage of your career, what kind of work-life balance you're looking for, and many other factors. For instance, just to give some negative stereotypes, you might be joining a company with the most technically skilled people who are also producing one of the most toxic environments for juniors or for new people to work in. If you actually happen to be in that situation, it would be very difficult to benefit from 
the technical prowess of the group you're working with versus the amount of pain and suffering that you might get in the experience of working with those people or the experience of working in that culture. There's always these trade-offs that you need to consider between the technical knowledge, prowess, the amount of freedom, the work-life balance that you get in different companies and in different work environments. It's always interesting to look at the big players to see if there are opportunities there, but it's not written in stone that these are the best choices for you. Linking to that, a lot of times, the specific team that you are working in and the specific manager that you work with has a lot more impact on how you ended up feeling happy or satisfied or productive or motivated on your work than which company you are in because those are the situations those are the people those are the environment that you work in day to day imagine a 2000 people company that have five offices in different locations you cannot realistically expect that all the teams and all the offices are operating in the same way have the same culture what really make a difference there is who you work with how they make you feel how they help you develop and how they help you succeed. I think those are the rather more important things to consider than just the name of the company. There are definitely benefits of being in a super big organization to fit in an already functioning system, but you could also potentially benefit in a lot of different ways if you join a very small team. For instance, one of the things that happens in small startups or even unestablished systems is that you might get a chance to do a lot of things. You might get a chance to get an idea idea about a lot of different aspects of your role or maybe even different roles that for instance are needed in a startup in terms of development somebody who joins a very small but active startup team might learn a lot more in a year or six months than somebody who's working in a very well established and already well running system in a huge company and these are the trade-offs that you need to really consider before choosing a job and potentially even before applying for a job I think there are different ways for you to get that information. For example, Glassdoor is a very good source of information to get a little bit inside peek into a company because you can read about both the positive and the negative comments and some of the specific. And also reach out to people in your network who knows about people in the company that you're applying to. All this can give you very good information and get a sense of how it's really like to work in a company. And I can guarantee you it's always different from what you just read on the company website or their career page. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about joining big names, the, the pros and cons of that. And maybe one of the common outcomes of applying for huge companies, at least statistically, is being rejected. And our next misconception is about not getting a job and about the outcome of being rejected. The most common misconception here that is very destructive to people is the feeling or the thinking that if I'm rejected, that means I'm not good enough. That means I'm not a good data scientist. I think finding a job is like finding a partner. You are making a commitment for some period of time. And therefore, it's super important for both sides to make sure as much as you can that there is a good fit. Even you are a great data scientist, there still can be roles that just doesn't fit you because of the techniques they use, because of the type of the project they work on, seniority or the experience level they are looking for. Or it could well be even the case that some job, the decision was already made, who will get that job. But then still, for different reasons, there need to be interviews with more candidates. I mean, a lot of people don't talk about this, but actually this happens more often than you would have expected. 
of course we're not saying that this is the only reason you might get rejected but this is pointing out to the fact that the reason for your rejection could be well beyond whether you are or not a good data scientist and it's of course a lot about whether there is a good fit or not yeah i think especially if you go to a few interviews with different companies and some of them you will come out with a feeling that you are not sure what is wrong but something doesn't feel right the opportunity feels different than you expected it's not as exciting in those cases if you don't get hired it can actually point to very strongly that it's a situation of a misfit you actually don't want to get an offer in that situation because you might end up in the next few months or years on a role that doesn't fit you. And that is very, very energy draining. I really appreciate the analogy of finding a partner. The fact that somebody is not interested in being in a relationship with you doesn't mean that you can be in no relationship. It's really about the fit existing between you and the people who are hiring. For many different reasons, it could be that maybe there's just not a great fit there. Yeah, so that leads to our last misconception, which is your number one goal in interviews is to convince the hiring managers to hire you. I think this is a very common one as well in the candidates that we have seen and uh, even the team members we hired. And as long as this misconception is there, it creates a imbalanced power dynamic. So you will go into an interview and you feel that the hiring manager, the company, have the higher power and it's your job to convince them to hire you. And that doesn't need to be the case. That could be, again, a very destructive attitude towards the interviews because you should always remember that you're not the one being evaluated alone in, in this communication. You also have a chance to go to many other companies. You also have a chance to choose between different jobs. And it's really crucial that you also look at this as an evaluation for yourself. Maybe because of the stress of the interviewee that is very common. I've seen a lot of cases where the interviewee doesn't even seem interested in knowing more about the position. Although of course it is interesting to them, but the mindset and the mentality seems to pre prevent them from even exploring and evaluating the options that is in front of them. You should actually first find out if the role is a right fit for you. You do this by asking questions. A rule of thumb is that interview is most effective when you talk 50% of the time and the hiring manager and the interviewers talk 50% of the time because that is a more balanced exchange that gives better opportunity on both sides to find out about each other and decide if it's a good fit. And when you ask a question, of course, when they tell you, for example, what the role is about, you can add comments about ah, how this relates to your previous experience or if they mention a topic that they work on, you can link that to some of the similar work or similar kind of problem you solved before. So this doesn't become like a Q&A, but more like a two-way conversation. And one conversation flow like this, you can very quickly find out whether this role is a right fit for you. And only after you find out and decide that this role is a reasonably good fit for you, then you should try to focus on convincing the hiring managers and the interviewers that you are the right fit. And when you start doing that at that point, you will also have a lot more knowledge about what the role is about. Your reasoning will be based on things specific to the company, specific to the role that will just make yourself more convincing. Exactly. And also you should have in mind that the questions that you ask during the interview 
are also information for the hiring manager. For instance, I'm a lot of time more impressed by the conversation and the questions they ask about the role rather than their CV or their previous accomplishments. Yeah, I think also we talk about interview a lot, we talk about conversations a lot, but then in our own hiring process, actual problem solving is a big part of it. So the same way of thinking that we just described, the same principles apply if you are going through some kind of case study or some kind of solving a problem together, you still want to pay attention to find out, okay, this is the type of case study that I'm going through. What does that tell me about a company? Is this the kind of problems that I enjoy solving? I would say all these same principles you should also keep in mind there. So I think that's the last misconception. We already mentioned a lot of uh, practical uh, tips in each of the misconceptions. (laughs) So I think we can skip that part of the show this time. All right, this is the end of this episode. So, and see you next time. See you next time. Just one last thing before you go. If you are not a data scientist yet, but want to become one, you should really attend our webinar. We will demystify the transition into data science. We'll show you the most effective way to build your skills, and we'll advise you on the four possible options you can take to go from where you are to landing a data science job in as little as nine months. Find out more at nds.show forward slash webinar. That is nds.show forward slash webinar. All right, that's the end of this episode. Have a nice day.